Well, hey, how's it going, Coastal? Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Yes, I'm still full from Thanksgiving. I don't know about you guys, but that's what the day is all about, is eating till you're uncomfortable. Um, my name is Steve, and uh, I am excited to be able to be here today. Pastor TJ and Shayla are on a much-deserved week of vacation this week, and so I get to uh, share with you what I think is a very important message here today. And I know, you know, this is the Sunday after Thanksgiving, and so it makes a lot of sense then that, that we'll have an opportunity today to talk about what that means and thankfulness and thanksgiving and connecting this holiday to our faith. But um, that's way too easy and uh, it's too predictable. So we're actually not going to talk anything about Thanksgiving because we're right in the middle now. Like nobody can argue that we're not in the heart of Christmas now. I mean, lights are on. The radio stations that used to play normal music are now playing Christmas music. Yeah, I got some people who like that. My wife's like that. She turns it on. She's like, oh, yeah, it's Christmas. Um, So there's no denying that we're like in the heart of that. I mean, all the Black Friday shopping stuff that just happened. How many of you guys are Black Friday shoppers? Anybody do the Black Friday thing? Crazy people. Just, I don't understand you. Um, It's fine that you do it, but getting up at O'Dark 100 to go and get mauled at a shopping place, like, just doesn't, I see all the things on TV, like, the videos and the pictures of these, like, riots, and I just assume that's going to happen at no matter what store I go to. So the whole Black Friday thing, and in the Cheryl house, the Black Friday thing looks a little different. Black Friday in our house means that we get up on the day after Thanksgiving, and I take my son, Evan, and we leave for the day. We try and get away from the house for as long as we can. That's my job, to keep Evan away for as long as possible. And my wife blasts the Christmas music all day, and she decorates the house for Christmas. So Friday, I got home from Boomers out in Boca. Um, I was trying to keep my son occupied, so we did the whole laser tag mini golf like for as long as I could stand. And then we came home, and when I opened the door, it looked like an elf threw up all over our house. So that's my wife's thing. That's our, that's our Black Friday. Um, and so since we're in the heart of Christmas now, and there's no denying that, it would make sense also for today to sort of be the time that Coastal's going to kick off our Christmas message series. Nope, too predictable. I would prefer just to keep you all on your toes this morning. And so we're going to talk about something that's totally probably out of your mind here. Um, you're like, whoa, okay, not Thanksgiving, not Christmas. We're actually going to talk today about how to be angry. Doesn't it sound festive, right? We think of Christmas, we think of anger. No, but we're going we're gonna to talk about that today because I just think sometimes it's good for us to get a curveball thrown. I like doing that. So um, the other reason is because I've been sort of dealing with this myself. I, I've been challenged by my wife recently who, who tells me that I have too many pet peeves. I have too many things that anger and aggravate me. Now, I didn't know that she was the foremost authority on deciding how many pet peeves one person could have, but she tells me that I have far too many. So I've sort of been thinking about this that she's been challenging me with and, and wondering if it's true or, or not. And so let me, let me share with you as we sort of dive into this understanding of how, how is it that we can actually be angry. Let me share with you some of my pet peeves. I'll start with a Christmas pet peeve, and that one is this. You cannot in any way, shape, or form turn on your Christmas lights until Thanksgiving Day is completely over. Okay? Yes. These are my people here. 
I don't know what it is about pretty twinkling lights that will get me so fired up if it happens before Thanksgiving Day ends. So here's another one of my pet peeves. If, if you know me at all, you'll, you'll start to know pretty soon as you get to know more and more about me that I am a huge germaphobe. I don't like germs. I don't like sick. I don't even like people when they're sick. And what my pet peeve is, is when somebody is sick and they know they're sick, and they don't do anything to keep their germs to themselves. I used to work with a guy, a good friend of mine, and he would get these colds and just like, you know, coughing and sneezing and stuffy, and he'd constantly have a water bottle on his hands because he'd be like, I'm so dehydrated, Steve. I've got to drink a lot. And like, it was hilarious. He just couldn't speak. And so the problem is that he'd empty his bottle, and then he would take it and he'd go over to the water dispenser, and he would jam that bottle up onto the water dispenser, like touching the part where his mouth was all over the water dispenser thing. And he'd fill it up, and then he'd just go on about his day. And I'm sitting there going, dude, there's like 12 gallons of contaminated water that I can't touch now. Like, that's disgusting. It's a, it's a, it's a communal water thing. Keep it clean. Here's another one of my pet, my pet peeves is that when you're at a stoplight and the light turns green, but the person in front of you doesn't go because they're texting. <sighs> i got to calm down a sec. I've lived in Ohio, California, Wisconsin, and now South Florida. Now, to be fair, this is a problem everywhere. But it is an epidemic in South Florida. People got issues down here with the cell phones at stoplights. Drives me nasty, like just crazy. Okay, here's another one. When people are late. Yep. So from now on, <laughs> so from now on, when I'm greeting you out there and you walk in late, you'll be like, oh, no. Like, I, I am uh, cursed or blessed, however you want to look at it, to have grown up in a family where my father was always a half hour early to everything, right? Like, open houses. Where, you know, when kids are graduating from high school and stuff, everybody has a little open house. Hey, Saturday from 2 to 4. My dad would be there at like 1.15. And my mom would be like, uh-uh, it's an open house. You can't get there early. We drive around the block like 68 times, right? My dad was always early. And so, like, being early is just, like, stuck in me. So being late, a huge pet peeve. The worst part of that, when I'm late, I, like, man, I'm, I'm done for. Like, I show wherever I'm going. I show up, and I'm angry, and everybody knows it. Like, man, what's wrong with Steve? He was four minutes late. Um, I got problems with being late. Um, here's another pet peeve. When technologically challenged people choose to use the self-checkout lane at the grocery store. <laughs> so if you have a problem figuring out how to scan the barcode, what makes you think you're going to figure out the touchscreen payment aspect of this? <laughs> and there's, there's employees in the other lanes that their job is there to check you out. Like, go meet one of them. You know, that's seriously... Um, another pet peeve of mine is the University of Michigan. <laughs> Enough said. <clears throat> Scarlet and gray. Everybody catch that. Um, how about this one? When somebody posts a controversial opinion of theirs on one of their social media accounts, but then follows that opinion with the phrase something like this, but I'm not looking for any debate or dissenting opinions. I just wanted to let everybody know how I feel. Unfriend. I unfriended somebody that I've been friends with for 15 years, just like three weeks ago. Comment just like that. Don't respond back. Just want to let everybody know how I felt. And I was like, here's how I feel. Unfriend. Can't handle that kind of stuff. 
Uh, last one I'll share is uh, whenever I'm at a restaurant or a retail store and the employees there are rude to me while I'm purchasing the product that allows their employer to pay their salary. I just want to sit them down on a chair and like give them a lesson in manners, right? Anybody ever been there where you're like, wait a second, if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't have this job. Why are you treating me like I'm an inconvenience? So that's just a, a, a very small portion. If you talk to my wife, it's a tiny portion of Steve's pet peeves, right? These are things that they really do just, they aggravate me. They get my blood boiling. They get my temperature up. But in reality, like when I'm talking about all these, for the most part, silly pet peeves, these, are, these aren't like real anger. These aren't, these aren't true anger. These aren't things that should actually allow me to get angry. These are more along the lines of those just aggravated, frustrated, pet peeve kinds of things. And if I were to poll everybody here this morning, I think all of us would, would pretty easily raise our hands and say, yeah, you know, at some point in my life, I have been truly and genuinely angry. And not in like a pet peeve, kind of aggravated, frustrated sort of way, but in a, in a true, like what I'm going to call this morning, righteously angry about something that's happening in the world. Now, there are some people that will tell you that, that Christians aren't allowed to get angry. There are people who believe that. I actually worked at a church uh, not too many years ago, and I was working with uh, the lead pastor there, and he had shared with the leadership of the church that there's a certain individual that had made him angry. And that the behavior of this individual toward the lead pastor, but also just in general, was really negatively impacting the church. And he was sharing this like, you know, to the leadership, like, hey, just I want to let you know we've got an issue over here and, and, and I've been trying to talk and work with this guy, but, but things aren't going well. And so a few days later, he comes into my office and, and he, he says, hey, I, uh, I got something that I just read uh, and I need your help reading it because I don't know if I'm reading this right. And it was like a letter of reprimand from some of the leaders in the church. And the first thing that this letter of reprimand did was that, that it was requiring a signature of his, acknowledging that he was out of line for having gotten angry with this individual, and that as the pastor of the church, he was committing himself to never being angry again. And I was like, well... You can sign it, but if you sign it, then you need to resign. Because there's no way that, that as a pastor we consider and go, you know what, I, I'll sign this, I'll never get angry again, and I know I'm going to fail at that, so I may as well just resign. But that's, I mean, those were some leaders in a church that I worked at that had so misunderstood anger that they thought, no, 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 I mean, you're a pastor. This is, as Christians, you're not allowed to act this way. You can't have anger. Man, I can't make this stuff up. These things... These, these misunderstandings really happen, and it's, it's important for us to sort of get down to the root of, of how it is that we're allowed to be angry. What does it mean to, to have righteous anger versus an unrighteous anger? And we're going to take a look this morning at what the Bible has to say so that we can understand how we as believers can be angry. And even if you're not a Christian, maybe you're here this morning because you're, you're visiting family or friends for Thanksgiving. You're like, I don't even know if I buy into all this stuff. I still think some of the principles that you'll hear this morning will be really helpful to you. And I know we kind of joked about it being the holiday season and, and we're not really doing a holiday message, but I do believe this, that, 
it's this time of the year that we kind of equate with being really festive and joyous. But there's also a lot of things that happen at this time of year that can get us twisted around from that joyous, festive kind of Christmas to being really angry and frustrated. And when we get stressed out because the lines are long and the traffic's bad, when we get stressed out and tired because we've got all kinds of different obligations from work parties to our kids' Christmas orchestra concert, when we've got family that we bring into the mix and all of those dynamics, sometimes, sometimes we just get a little bit out of whack and then our what should be just kind of momentary frustrations and stress and being tired turns into an anger that it shouldn't be. So let's look at, we're going to look at five different ways that we can actually be, as Christians, righteously angry. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, to be angry and yet do not sin. So that's the first thing that we need to understand is that the Bible actually says we can be angry. Now, Scripture tells us it's not a sin to be angry. What is a sin is what happens when we get angry. We don't usually have a problem, do we, with being angry. We've all got that part figured out. We can be angry. We usually get a little bit more trouble. We, we, we struggle a little bit more when it comes to the do not sin part of the anger. So the Bible tells us to be angry. I think that a person who's angry for the right reasons, like you're angry at, in the right way, you're angry in the right moment, you're angry at the right people. I think those types of, of people actually deserve great praise. When we have our anger in the kind of compartment that, it's, that we're designed to have it in, I think we deserve some praise. The Bible actually speaks a lot about anger. I mean, I had to pick and choose which ones I was going to use because there's a bunch of verses about anger. Depending on what English translation of the Bible you're reading, it should, it'll be somewhere around 270 times that the Bible uses the word anger or angry. Now, most of us try and kind of excuse it or rationalize it away. But, and, and I do the same thing. I call it a pet peeve, right? That's our way of saying, oh, it's just my pet peeve. When in reality, I let some of my pet peeves wind me up so tight that it's completely out of line from what we're actually called to do. There was a there was a woman who once came to a famous evangelist in the early 1900s. His, his name was Billy Sunday. He was a, a well-known evangelist in the early 1900s. And, and this woman came up to him and she said, hey, man, you know what, I, I don't have a problem with anger. I mean, yes, I lose my temper and I blow up, but, but once I lose my temper and I blow up, then, it, then it's all over. And his response to her was, well, so does a shotgun, but look at the destruction that it leaves behind. We can't excuse or, or rationalize our anger. Now, we do see, though, that the Bible has already told us that we can be angry. And it's also going to show us that God himself experiences the emotion of anger. It's a, it's a natural emotion of God's, and so we can have it too. So let's look at God's word and see what it says about that. Ephesians 4 said that we could be angry as long as we don't sin. Uh, Exodus 4.14 says, and this is just one of the, the many examples that show us that God experiences anger. It says, then the Lord became angry with Moses. Okay, if you know anything about the Old Testament, Moses is like a patriarch of the faith. I mean, so many of the stories that we teach from, you know, all of the little kids, it's about Moses. And so if God could be angry with Moses, you better believe he's been angry with you and me. So we can see now clearly in Scripture that God himself experiences anger. We also see from Scripture that we can be angry. We just can't sin in our anger. The problem for most of us is that when we get angry, it quite often and, and far too often leads us to sin. So what does anger look like that doesn't lead to sin? 
It looks like something that we're going to call righteous anger today. So we're going we're gonna to differentiate, differentiate between unrighteous anger and righteous anger. We're going to do that so that we can tell in our normal everyday life. We'll have a few things to sort of measure our anger by so we know, look, am I heading in the right direction with this? Or am I heading in a direction that's going to be destructive? So the first thing is this. Righteous anger is anger that's under control. We looked at Ephesians 4.26 where it said, be angry and yet do not sin. But if we were to follow that verse a little further, that verse ends by saying, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And what it's telling us is not to harbor that anger for too long. Don't hold on to it because it turns into to a deeper form of anger, turns into resentment, it leads to sin. Now, the same is true. We're not, we're not supposed to harbor anger for too long, but the flip side is true is that we're not supposed to get angry too quickly. Proverbs 14, 17 says, a man of quick temper acts foolishly and a man of evil devices is hated. And another spot in Proverbs 29, 22 says, an angry person starts fights. A hot-tempered person commits all kinds of sin. And we actually have a great example of what anger under control looks like in Jesus. In the book of John chapter 2, um, there's a story about Jesus in the temple. And all four of the Gospels, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all record this story. Now, none of them actually use the word anger, but it's pretty clear as we look at what's happening that, God, that Jesus himself was experiencing the emotion of angry and that his actions were motivated by that strong emotion of anger. So let me read this to you from John chapter 2. It says, In the temple area, he, that's Jesus, saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Now we look at this, and my question is, what would this really look like if we were to take this story and put it into a more modern understanding? And so if you would, imagine with me that as you pulled into the school parking lot today, that you noticed a, a table was set up right under that coastal community sign at that, at that sidewalk out by the parking lot, and there was a big line forming at that table. And so you wonder what this is all about, and you go ahead and you park, and you go get in line, and, and as you make your way up, it's finally your turn at the table, you realize that what's happened is that, that we've made a decision here at Coastal, that for you to be able to participate in the giving of offering during our giving time, that you need to use a special type of coin. It's a, it's a coastal community coin. You can't use just normal American dollars anymore. You've got to have this coastal community coin. And so, so you're like, well, okay, this is getting a little weird, but I like coastal. I like the people, and, and it's all right here, so whatever. Like, I can buy their dumb little coins. So you give a $20 bill, and you get $10 of coastal coins in return. Now, at this point, you're probably not enjoying the exchange rate. And you're thinking, well, okay, well, this is weird, but maybe maybe the $10 is worth more here than my $20. I, this is kind of strange, but I'll just roll with it. But then you find out that um, you now have to pay $2 for parking. You need to pay $4 for each child you're going to check into Coastal Kids. If you would like anybody to pray for you this morning, that would be $5. And we're actually not going to be using these speakers that you see any longer. If you'd like to be able to hear the worship music and actually hear the message that's being preached, you're going to have to rent these little wireless receivers and earphones for $8 a piece. How many of you guys are loving Coastal at that point? 
Now that's kind of the, 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 the most modern way that I can put the story of what has happened with Jesus in the temple. Jesus saw something happening in the temple where these people were, they were making a buck off of those that were coming. They were, the exchange rate was off. They were selling things at inflated prices. They were being told, hey, you've got to come with your sacrifice, but you've got to have the right kind of sacrifice. You can't use that thing. You've got to buy this thing. And they were ripping people off. That's what angered Jesus. Now, in this example in the temple, the thing to learn, though, is that Jesus kept his anger under control. When he became angry, he remained the same person. His anger didn't have a negative impact on his character. It didn't cause him to say or do anything wrong or sinful. He went, if we were to read further as we read in John, he went from anger to mercy all in the same day. His anger in the temple was motivated by his love for the people. And his anger never really became a vehicle for him to harbor resentment. So our anger needs to be resolved, and, and that's what he was doing. I actually believe that we, we know, based on the scripture, that God does get angry. And I think that when godly people get angry because God is angry, that we're actually in a perfect spot, that we're showing a mature level of faith. When, when God is angry, and we can understand that, and, and we're angry because we think God is angry, then that's actually showing what I believe is to be some holy and righteous character on our behalf. The second thing is that righteous anger is motivated for the right reasons. Can we be real here for a second? Most of the time that we get angry, if we're honest, the vast majority of our anger is motivated by pride. It's motivated by some sort of insecurity. It's motivated by an, unreal, real, excuse me, an unrealistic expectation that we have toward other people. That's normally what our anger is coming from. And that kind of anger will always lead to hurtful and destructive and even a sinful path. But we need to figure out times when, when it's right for us to be angry. In Mark chapter 3, there's another story uh, of Jesus that I want to share. And, and it says this, Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, and so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. See, Jesus was angry. The scripture actually tells us that he was angry. And he was angry because these religious leaders of the day were the ones who were actually upset at him for healing somebody. So you've got these religious leaders who have taken the Sabbath, which was meant as a day of rest, and that's something that God has said, have a Sabbath, have a day of rest, but they had added all sorts of man-made rules to the Sabbath. And so they believed that you couldn't do anything that remotely looked like or resembled work in any way, shape, or form. And so they were sitting here waiting, just kind of waiting to see if they could catch Jesus doing some work on the Sabbath. And then they could discredit him. And Jesus is looking at this saying, what, what does this man need right now? Does this man need this, this day of rest that has been governed and so twisted by these man-made rules? Or does this man 
actually need to experience healing. This poor guy with the shriveled hand didn't need rest and he didn't need to follow all of these rules. What he needed was to be healed. And so for, for Jesus in that moment, the right thing to do was to heal him. It's motivated by the right reasons. Third, righteous anger is motivated when others are mistreated or taken advantage of. There's a scary verse in Exodus chapter 22 that says this, you must not exploit a widow or an orphan. If you exploit them in any way and they cry out to me, then I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will blaze against you and, you, and I will kill you with the sword. Then your wives will be widows and your children fatherless. Yikes. That's God saying, if you mistreat the widows or orphans, what's going to happen is that I'm going to make your spouse, your wife is going to become a widow herself, and your kids are going to be fatherless. I mean, he can't make any more clear than that verse that what, what he expects of us when it comes to those who are exploited. You know, I was, uh, years ago, I was uh, in youth ministry and I was leading a, a student mission trip. And we had actually taken a group of high school students into West Virginia, way up into the mountains. And a lot of people refer to it as Appalachia. It was in the sticks. We took like a, a one lane road, like 40 minutes through the mountains, just curving back and forth. We had to stop like four times because kids in our van were getting sick. It was just like crazy. And it Finally, after like 40 minutes, it opens up into this town of like 300 people. And most of those people in this town had never left. They'd never driven that 40-minute drive through that one-lane windy mountain road to kind of get out into the rest of society. It was a really surreal and almost a third-world feeling. And so on the first day of this trip, we were sent out to this old woman's house. And we were told that that she had a leak in her roof. And so we had, uh, we had a little pack of shingles and some tar, and all we had to do was fix her roof. And when we got there, we met this woman. Her name was Miss June. Her neighbor, who we met a little bit later, said that Miss June was well over 100 years old because her neighbor was 72. And she said, I'm 72, and when I was a kid, Miss June was an old lady. And so she's like, nobody around here knows how old Miss June is. I don't think Miss June knows how old she is. And so Miss June had been widowed for many, many years, and she lived there by herself. And so we start investigating how are we going to fix the leak in her roof. And as we do, we come to find out that it's not really a leak. When we think leak, we think you, put, you, know, you stick a bucket under the leak. What had happened is that the front of her house, the roof on the front of her house, connected to the roof on her porch. And a couple years before we had gotten there, there was another church youth group that came as part of a mission team with a different mission organization than the one that we were with that had fixed the leak in her roof. But instead of now having a little drip that she had to put a pan under, their fix had actually caused it to pour into her house every time it rained. We could see the water stains all over the wall. We could see the carpet. You could kind of smell the moisture in the air. Every time it rained, which it does frequently in West Virginia, this poor woman's house just like waterfall of water into her family room. And so we started pulling back the shingles, trying to figure out what we can fix where, and we noticed that because of this poor fix, this mistake that had been made, we had to replace like more than just a few shingles and tar. This little pack of supplies that we got was not going to cut it. We needed hundreds of dollars worth of lumber. We needed to make the, you know, a run to the lumber store, which you got to go down that 40-minute road. Like this is a big deal to go get all this stuff. And it was going to take a lot more than one day. So I called the, the, the leader of the mission organization to come back out to the site. And, and we showed him what was going on. And we said, hey, 
She's going to need a lot more than what, you, what you've given us. And his response was, oh, man, we don't have money in the budget to, to get all that material. And, and we've got other projects that we have your group scheduled for for the rest of this week. From righteous anger started boiling up in me when this guy said, we're just going to we're just have to go on to a different site. And so I went and talked with our adult leaders, and we, we gathered the students around, and we talked with them. And, and the decision was made, and I went back to the, to the site leader, and I said, hey, uh, we've already spent a lot of money just to be here. You know, each, we had to pay for each participant. You pay a lot of money to go on mission trips. I said, but we're going to pay. Our church is going to pay for all of the lumber and all of the supplies that are needed. So you're going to go get those. And then we're going to stay here until this job is done. We're not leaving and going to the other sites. Now, I'm not sure that he liked our decision, but he didn't argue it at that point. Four and a half days later, when we had finally finished basically re-roofing the entire front of her house, we were cleaning up all of the mess that we'd made, all the tools and all the debris, all the students were kind of running around the yard putting everything away, and it started to rain. Just a little rain at first, and so everyone kind of gathered up onto the porch that we had re-roofed, and, and then it started to pour, like just a deluge. And so she actually invited us in, so there's like 12 of us, and we're in her little, we're in her little family room, and we're all like this, and, and she's just staring up at the ceiling, where for a couple years now, every time it rained, water just poured in. That ceiling was dry, but her eyes were not. And let me tell you, I don't know, I have no idea what kind of opportunities that we missed because we changed the, the mission company's schedule. I don't know what other projects we would have been working on or who else we would have met. But those high school students that were on that trip, they learned something about righteous anger in that moment. When they said, you know what, we made a decision as a group on Monday that we were staying here and that we were fixing this, and this woman was not going to have to deal with this anymore. And to be able for them to sit there, like perfect timing, hey, we're done, we're cleaning up, God just brought the rain so we could go, oh, please, please work, please work. And it worked. And Miss June's, it changed her whole demeanor. She wasn't bothered anymore by the fact that there was a group of kids at her house working on things. She wasn't hesitant anymore to have them even there because the last time, she'd been taken advantage of. And I don't mean that it had been done purposely, but our students learned something that week about righteous anger and about what it can do in positive ways. The fourth thing is that righteous anger is motivated by people who preach a false gospel. Man, I get angry at this. Deuteronomy 32, 16 says, uh, they made him, that's God, him, they made God jealous with their foreign gods and angered him with their detestable idols. It's clear that God does not want us worshiping or even being remotely involved with any other gods, the, the lowercase g. And, and there's definitely a lot of, of things out there that frustrate me and get my blood boiling a little bit. I, I, have, I have people that I've known for years who, who are Christians, like they go to church and they, they believe in Jesus, and then they post stuff like on their Facebook, like uh, the wise sayings of Buddha, or they, they post their horoscope for the day. And I'm like, man, what are you doing? But you know what I think gets me fired up even more than that kind of stuff? It's the crazy campus preacher. Anybody ever, anybody when, in the colleges that you've been to, you got that weird, the weird dude who shows up at like the most trafficked place on campus and stands there and starts preaching some craziness? 
Or maybe you've been to like a, a concert or a music festival and there's someone that sets up there and they just, start, they just start preaching. There was a guy when I went to Ohio State and he would set up probably once a week or so, he'd set up in the Oval and that's like right in the center part of campus and there's just students constantly crossing back and forth from building to building, class to class. This guy's name was Brother Jed. I have no idea what his last name was. I can see his face right now. His name was Brother Jed and he used to set up and man, this guy would start preaching but his message was all about hate and judgment. It wasn't the gospel message that I know. You know, some girl would walk by in a skirt, and if that skirt didn't cover her ankles, he'd just hurl insults at her, you know, yell at her, calling her a whore and a fornicator, and just start just tearing her apart. I mean, God forbid that there would be, like, in college, people date. I mean, it's kind of normal. And so some guy and girl come by with their arms around each other or holding hands, I mean, I won't repeat in here the kinds of things that he would shout at those people. And it used to just get me so upset. I used to get so mad and so angry because I would watch these students that would circle around him and they were either laughing at him or they were shouting at him. And the worst part was when they would be walking away, making fun of Christianity, just shaking their heads. Oh man, these Christians are so stupid. They're so crazy. And I used to hear these conversations. They used to just break my heart, because he wasn't preaching the gospel that's in my Bible. That false gospel, when we get angry because people are teaching the wrong thing to people in, that we care about, when they're teaching the wrong things into this culture, it should make us angry. And the fifth thing is this, that righteous anger is slowly provoked. Now, I think maybe I put this one in here just for me. James 1, uh, 1 through 19, or James 1, 19 says this. It says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. What I've learned is that, that people are, are constantly watching us. When we let people know that, that we go to church, when we wear our coastal shirt or when we tell somebody, hey, yeah, I can meet you for lunch, but I go to church first, or when we talk about our, our Christianity, we put ourselves out there for people to watch, and people are watching us, and they watch how we react and how we respond to things in life. I think that they, they watch especially the way that we react and respond with our children, if you're parents at all. Um, Colossians 3.21, this one just hurts me even as I read it. Fathers, do not provoke your children so they will not become disheartened. I, I grew up in a family, not only was my dad early, but I grew up in a family where we tended to have loud conversations. That's what we call it to make it sound better. But reality is that my family yelled a lot. That was kind of how we dealt with disagreements and anger. We would yell constantly. And so now I'm realizing that, that the way I respond to my son is that that quite frequently my first reaction is to raise my voice. I said raise my voice because it sounds better than yell, right? Well, I just raise my voice. But I'm raising my voice, which to him and to everybody else looks an awful lot like anger when maybe I'm not even angry at all. Maybe I'm just, I'm just frustrated. I'm, I'm a little bit tired. Um, I, you know, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed, just kind of having a grumpy day. Or, or maybe I'm impatient. But I'm not really angry. But yet, I'll respond in the opposite of, of what James is saying, where it's saying, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. 
I'll get angry really quick. I'll raise my voice really quick. And then that initial reaction of mine leads to him kind of coming back at me. And I'm starting to see that as a nine-year-old, that's, that's his first thing now. Now he's starting to raise his voice. And then if he does it, then I do it again. And then it, then it doesn't end up good for either one of us. There was, a, there was an author that, that I read about. He was um, preparing to write some big article for the old Reader's Digest. I don't even know if Reader's Digest exists anymore. They used to always be like at doctor's offices. You could just flip this little magazine open and read these short stories. And he was writing this article about the Amish. And so he went to a, an Amish schoolyard to kind of uh, observe the kids and how they interacted. And one of the things that he noticed was that they don't scream or yell at each other, like at all. And so he went to the schoolmaster at one point and he said, hey, um, you know, I noticed that none of the kids here scream or yell. So different from all the other schools I've ever seen. Can you, can you help me understand why that is? And, and the schoolmaster responded to me. He said, well, have you ever heard an Amish adult yell? And he was just responding, the, the schoolmaster, to the culture that they have built amongst themselves. And the reality is that if, if I don't do that to my son, if, if, if instead of being reacting quickly and getting angry quickly, if, if instead I would look at James and, and take it to heart and be able to say, you know what, I'm going to be quick to listen. I'm going to be slow to speak and slow to become angry. And then it's going gonna, it's gonna to create that in my son's life as well. Here's the, the reality is that when, when something happens and we respond quickly, especially when we respond quickly with anger, we're most likely heading down the wrong path. Now, the, the good news is that as we look at this and we start talking about there's, there's different ways that we can actually be angry and, and that when God's heart is broken and when God is angry at something, then we too should be angry. And we're starting to understand like what does righteous anger look like? The reality is that we mess this up all the time. If you're anything like me, you allow these stupid pet peeves and these little aggravations and impatience and insecurities and your, our own pride to get in the way. When we do that, we start heading down destructive and hurtful paths. The good news is that even though all that happens, we have a God in Psalm 145.8 that says this, the Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. So he is what we're called to be. We're called to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. And then it says we have a God who is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. And so as we're looking at this concept, and, and as you might be thinking about your life, and like, man, I get, I get so frustrated at that. Or, or that thing that happens gets under my skin so easily. Or I know in this one area of my life, I, I respond with anger so quickly. We can sit and say, man, I, I understand what it looks like to be righteously angry. There's some, some good thoughts in there, but, but I think I'm usually unrighteously angry. The great news is that that we have a God who is merciful and compassionate, slow to become angry, and filled with unfailing love. This is a season where, where we think about all the festive, joyful kind of stuff, right? It's twinkling lights, it's presents, it's gingerbread cookies, and we don't realize that there can also be a time that can, that can send us down paths that we don't want to be on because of all of those extra things that the holidays bring with them. I just want to challenge you as you head into this season to, to allow yourself the room to make this season a festive one, to make this a season where we're focusing on, on what's coming on Christmas Day, right? The celebration of the birth of our Savior. 
And in order to do that in the most joyful way possible, it's getting a hold of those things that steal us of our joy, that rob us of our joy. And so I just want to encourage us as we think about ourselves to be asking yourself the question, what are the areas in my life where where I'm allowing myself to just react and respond and to be unrighteously angry at things? And then to also ask yourself on the flip side, because the Christmas season is also a very charitable season when we're thinking about others, to be thinking, what are those things, how should I be thinking of of others? How should I be responding to the world? What are those things that break God's heart, that should break mine, things that make him angry, that should make me angry so that I can make a difference? If we do those two things during this time of year, I think we'll understand much more fully what it means to celebrate this season. Would you pray with me? God, there's, there's so many things in, in our life that, that we allow to frustrate us, that we allow to aggravate us, that, that rob us of our joy. And I ask God that this morning, for those of us in this room that can say, man, here's, here's one area or two areas, or maybe you got 15 of them, where you're just, you get yourself all fired up and, and you're understanding that it's, it's an unrighteous form of anger that robs you of your joy. I just pray that, that this morning you would just name that, that you would hold that up and hand it over to Jesus this morning. And there's others here in this room that, that as we prepare for this season of, of celebration, that for us it's, it's hard to even understand the difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger because we're realizing that we don't really know our Savior. And let this be the season for you where you allow yourself for the first time to trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior and to to come into your life and to change and completely turn upside down your thoughts about the world so that you could see it through his eyes. It's a season that is so important for us. And I just pray for all of us that we'd be able to understand his desire for us. It's in Jesus' name.